Hey guys, thanks for watching online. We are honored that you chose to give us this time. We have people watching from all over the world. If you're in the Middle Tennessee area, please come and be a part of one of our local campuses because your experience with church shouldn't end online. It should just begin there or be a supplement to being involved in a local community. So come uh, be a part of one of our local campuses. And, and if you live outside of our area, please contact us. You can contact us through Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email us. Uh, we will be glad to do some research where you live and find a good healthy church to recommend to you to plug into because we want you to be involved in a community. So we hope these messages bless you. Uh, let us know if we can help you in any way. Uh, God bless you again. Thanks for watching and I look forward to seeing you really soon. We're finishing up, wrapping up a series that we've been in for six weeks called God, Love, and Sex. We spent the last six weeks talking about all things relationships, everything from the value of singleness to the, to the purpose of marriage to the purpose of sex, uh, uh, how to court, how to fight in, in, in marriage and, and, uh, and reconcile and all those things, okay? And so uh, uh, we hope you've enjoyed that. If you've missed any, you can watch any online and I would encourage you to do that, to catch up uh, on some things that, uh, that we've talked about. And so we're going to wrap this up today. You know, this week, I uh, was standing in the bathroom, I got out of the shower, I was standing in the bathroom in front of the mirror just sort of admiring my six pack and uh, the mirror was a little foggy, but I was admiring my six pack and Amy come in and I said, baby, will you still love me when I'm old, fat and bald? And she said, I do. And uh, so one of the things I love about her outside of her obvious personality is uh, her faithfulness and her commitment and her loyalty. You know. She obviously has proven she meant what she said uh, all those years ago when she vowed to love and cherish me in good and bad, in sickness and in health, and for rich or for poor, when my body looked like chiseled stone and when it looked like a sack of stones, right? When I was young enough to, to know everything and old enough to forget most things, right? I mean, she vowed that she would stick with me until death do us part, and you know what? She met those vows. She's obviously proven that. And what I want you to know is that marriage is hard, okay? If you're single, you need to know marriage is hard. It's difficult. It's not easy, right? We're sometimes, you know, in marriage, sometimes you feel like you can't live without each other. And then there are times when you're going to kill each other, right? There are times when you're like that old sappy couple, you know, that leaves sticky notes on the bathroom mirrors with the heart emojis and I love you and, you know, you're like that. And I hate it when Amy does that because I'm always like, oh, I, I can't do that. What do I do here? I don't know how to respond because, you know, I, I leave a sticky note. But you, you might be that sticky note. Leave, and then I love you. And then you might be like that couple sitting in, the, in, their, in their living room, you know, and she's in, watching TV and she's enjoying a glass of wine and she says, I love you. And he says, is that you talking to the wine? And she says, that's me talking to the wine. And so, um, you know, but sometimes you're just all in love and sometimes you're just struggling. And, you know, that's marriage, right? I mean, that's marriage. After 30 plus years of marriage, I can promise you two things. One, it's hard. It's difficult. It's not easy. Okay, it takes a lot of grace. Uh, I have to have a lot of grace with Amy. It takes a lot of hard work, a lot of forgiveness. Uh, it's hard. The second thing I promise is the longer you're married, the better it gets. Sociological research proves that 
you don't hit your sweet spot in marriage until about year 9 to 14, somewhere, I don't know why it's not 10 to 15, but somewhere between year 9 and 14, you hit your sweet spot, and that's when it begins to get good. The problem is most people really never make it that far. They hit eject way before that and don't get to experience and rob themselves of experiencing the greatest years of marriage. Uh, and so, uh, you know, uh, today, sadly in America, it's easier to get a divorce than it is to get married. As a result, every person in this room has been directly affected by divorce in one way or another. Maybe you have been divorced. Maybe your kids have been divorced. Your mom and dad have been divorced. Your in-laws. Somewhere we've all been directly affected. And so just mentioning the word brings a whole host of emotions. Uh, you know, it brings up, some, for some people, anger. For some people, bitterness. For some people, people guilt. And so what we're going to do today as we wrap this series is we're going to bounce to Song of Solomon chapter 8, and we're going to talk about the permanency of marriage, lasting love, and we're going to talk a little bit about divorce because uh, it affects all of us, okay? Now, I want you to understand that Solomon here writes the book of the Song of Solomon early in his life, and it's, it, it, it's this beautiful picture of pure courtship, pure dating, pure romance, pure marriage, uh, how to fight, reconcile, all those things, right? But we also know that Solomon goes off the rails. I mean, he goes crazy and forgets everything, and he goes wild and ends up with a thousand women, and, and everything goes Wilt Chamberlain on us. And, 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 so, and, and then he writes uh, Ecclesiastes at the end of his life as a confessional that I, I messed it all up. Okay, And so this is trustworthy as God's Word because God early in his life gives us a picture of what marriage should be uh, after sin. Adam and Eve is what marriage should be before sin, right? That was blown up. So Song of Solomon gives us this beautiful picture about what love, courtship, dating, sex, all these things can be after sin. Then he goes off, does crazy things, confesses in Ecclesiastes. And so today we're going to bounce to chapter 8. And we've looked at these stages of their life, and now they're past the honeymoon stage. They're probably past the disillusionment stage. They're in the commitment stage. And, man, they're going to teach us some things about lasting love. Let's, let's dive over to Song of Solomon chapter 8 and, and begin to unpack three verses, only three verses today, 5, 6, and 7. And so let's look at verse 5. In verse 5 it says, who is that coming up? This is her talking. Who is that coming up from the wilderness, leaning on her beloved? Under the apple tree I awakened you. Okay, now get that. Under the apple tree I awakened you. There your mother was in labor with you. There she who bore you was in labor. Now, one of the things I love to do with uh, Amy and I is, man, or, or me, when we're driving on a trip, you know, whether it's vacation or whether it's to visit family or whether it's just some trip. Man, I, I, uh, the, you know, no, nobody really likes to get in a car and drive a long way. But one of the bl blessings and benefits of it is we're in the car. Man, there's no game to watch. There's no work to do. There's no food to be cooked. You know, the, if the kids are with us, they're in the back, generally with their uh, headsets on. They're doing something. And so we love to use that time. I love to use that time to talk. I mean, man, it's, it's one of those times you get where, like, we're sort of uh, held hostage for each other, you know. I mean, and we're there, and so we talk, we dream, we reminisce all about things of our past, about our, our future, and, and I love doing that. That's what's happening in this passage as we come to chapter 8, verse 5. Solomon and his bride, they've sort of been out in the wilderness to an escape for a weekend. Uh, they're coming back, and as they come back, they're reminiscing. They're thinking back to early days of marriage, actually back to when they began dating. And they're talking about that. And I, I think it would do most of us well if you're married 
If you're mar married and have been married for any length of time, then you've got a lot of memories. Some good, some bad, right? I think it would do you well to think and talk about the good memories that you have with each other, to remind you of some things that you might have forgotten, right? And that's what they're doing. And uh, when she talks about an apple tree, they come and she talks about an apple tree being the place where uh, uh, he, she awakened him, the place where his mother gave her birth. And what is all that? Well, remember, this is a wisdom book, but it's also written poetically, Right? And so what she's saying here is an, an apple tree in Scripture is a symbol of love. A fig tree is a symbol of Israel in Scripture. An apple tree is a figure of, a, a symbol of love. And what she's saying poetically here is when they, she talks about the apple tree being the place that she, she awakened him and the place that his mother gave uh, birth to him, she's saying basically, poetically, you were conceived and given birth by your mother specifically for me. You were custom made to be my husband. Our marriage is not just blessed by God, it was ordained by God. We were created for each other. Man, that sounds very romantic, doesn't it? But it's the truth, okay? And I want you to get this. I want you to get this in your mind. If you're single, this is the kind of person you want to marry. It's that person that you know, man, listen, I can't, this, this person is that, man, this is it, right? If you're married, you need to understand that man or that woman that you married is the man or woman that God created specifically for you. It might be your first marriage or your second marriage. That's the man or that's the woman God created for you, and you've got to have that in your brain. Think back to Genesis. God created. It was good. He created. It was good. He created. It was good. All of a sudden, he, when he saw Adam was alone, he said, it's not good. Now, that wasn't God going, uh-oh, something's missing. He did this for our benefit to teach us the value of relationship, and this is specifically marriage. And so what did he do? He created Eve with his hands, specifically brought her to Adam and did the first marriage ceremony in the Garden of Eden. And when he did that marriage ceremony, and then he said, uh, what God has joined together, let not man separate, Genesis 2, right? And so he custom made Eve for Adam. What you need to understand, and the, the, flip, the switch that I want you to flip in your mind is, if you're married today, that man, that woman that you married is custom made by God for you. What that does, it completely changes your perspective because I hear all the time, well, we just fall, we, we don't love each other anymore. We fall out of love. We, we do this. But the, the deal is, is when you don't understand, this is it. There is no back door here uh, in our marriage. This is it. She was made for me. I don't let myself go thinking that about anyone else. I don't let my eye wander, my mind wander. And the reason we do that is because, man, we, we don't understand. This person was made for me. This is the lasting love that we're beginning to see in, in Song of Solomon that we all need to understand. Now, as we, uh, as we go through, and, and, and let's look at verse 6. Verse 6, she says, set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm. A seal, and I think about a seal, for love is strong as death. Jealousy is fierce as the grave. Its flashes are flashes of fire, the very flame of the Lord. Now, a seal, if you remember in Scripture, back in that day, a seal generally referred to like a signet ring that was worn, pressed in hot wax, and then pressed on a scroll or pressed on a, uh, a letter. It, it signified authenticity. It signified uh, ownership, identity. And what she's saying is, when she says, set me as a seal, is she's saying, I want everyone to know you're mine and I'm yours and we belong to no one else. I don't want any other woman having your heart 
I don't want any other woman having your arm. We belong to each other, and I want everyone to know that, right? If you're married, what you need to, 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 to understand is the only person you flirt with from this day forward is your husband or your wife. That's it. You don't look at anyone else in that way. You don't flirt with anyone else uh, in that way. It is only your husband. It is only your wife from this day forward. You, you should show each other affection in public. Now, I'm not talking about gross displays of affection, but I'm talking about you should hold her hand and his hand in public every now and then. Put your arm around each other. Kiss her on the forehead every now and then. You want people to look. The point is, don't talk negatively ever about your husband or your wife in a group of people. Don't belittle them in a group of people, jokingly or not. Don't do that. You want everyone to be able to look at you too and say, they're solid. They don't need to think you're perfect. That would be inauthentic. That would be a lie. But they need to look and say, they're solid. There's no crack in that door. That's what she's saying. I want the world to know I'm yours and you're mine and we belong to each other, and we have each other, and, and, and that's it, right? Uh, 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 and so, uh, you know, she talks about uh, their love being as strong as death. That doesn't sound very romantic, does it? I love you like death, baby. I mean, that doesn't sound very romantic. But what she's saying is, as death, as gr the grave does not give up as dead, neither are we going to give up each other. We are in it. We are committed, right? I mean, you've got me and I've got you, and, 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 we're in. and then she talks about jealousy being fierce. Now, there's a good jealousy and a bad jealousy, okay? I mean, we know jealousy sometimes is the green-eyed monster, a bad jealousy. It's insecurity. Man, it's a lack of trust, and to be quite honest with you, some of you, I know, have done some things that create a lack of trust within your marriage, and your spouse maybe can't, don't trust you, and you need to understand if you've done things to uh, ruin trust, it takes a long time to build trust back. When you, when you have it and you do something to ruin it, it takes longer to build it back, okay? So I understand that, but green-eyed monster, bad jealousy is when we uh, are insecure, when we, uh, when we don't trust, and that's not good. But all jealousy is not bad, right? I mean, good jealousy is like the jealousy God has for you. God's not jealous of you, right? He's God. He's not jealous of anything you have. He can take everything you have. It's all he is anyway. He's not jealous of you, but he is jealous for you. He's jealous for your heart. He's jealous for your devotion. He's jealous for your, for your attention. He's jealous for you, and he will respond with strength against anything that tries to woo you away. That's what she's talking about. A husband and a wife should be jealous for each other in the sense that I am not going to allow any person to woo you away. No other man's going to have your heart, your arm. No other woman's going to have your heart, your arm. I'm going to do what it takes to make sure I'm it for you. You do what it takes to make sure you're it for me. That's the jealousy that we should have for each other. Right? I mean, uh, I, I'm jealous for Amy, not in a green-eyed monster way. I'm blessed with a wife that has never given me any reason to distrust her, and I'm blessed in that area. I know that, okay? But I, I don't distrust her. I'm not jealous that I'm insecure in any way. Uh, you know, I, I, I see her uh, talking to, uh, to a man, you know, in the stores. I'm like, I don't care. That's, that didn't bother me. It's not that insecurity, green-eyed monster, but I am jealous for her in a way that I will make sure that no man has his place in, in her life as I do. That no man has a place of intimacy in her life as I do. So here, here's what that means. I'm jealous for her, and she's going to be jealous for me, and here's what it means. Amy's not going to go out to lunch with a dude. 
and just talk and hang out, okay? That's not what she's going to do. I, I, I mean, she's not going to uh, be texting a dude. You know, I mean, now, if one of my staff texts her, hey, is Pat there? That's, that, you know what I mean by texting a dude. I'm talking about, hey, what's going on? How you doing? Just, just conversation. She's not going to be texting a dude, right? I mean, she's not going to be talking on Facebook with a dude, right? I mean, that's not going to happen. We're not, I'm not going to do that with a woman. I, I, you know, I mean, I'll meet with you. I, you know what I'm talking about. I'm not just going to hang out and be friends. Dudes need to be friends with dudes. Women need to be friends with women. Okay, when it comes down to those things. Now, I'm not talking about uh, how you doing, but you don't do that. I'm jealous for my wife, and she's jealous for me in those areas. Okay, and, and so that's, that's what we're going to do. And so uh, and, and that's what she's talking about here when she says this jealousy is, I'm going to make sure that you uh, are, are the only one for me, and I'm the only one for you, and, and we're not going to let any, any cracks in that door. So let's look at verse 7. Verse 7 says, many waters cannot quench love. Many waters cannot quench love. Neither can floods drown it. If a man offered for love all the wealth of his house, he would be utterly despised. So what she's talking about here is that their love is so hot and passionate that running waters, powerful running waters, can't even quench the flame. I mean, that's how passionate it is. Basically, here's what she's saying. She's saying, baby, we've been married. We've, we, we've been together for a while, and we've had some good times and some bad times. We've had some ups, and we've had some downs. I mean, we've fought, and we've loved. We've had joys, and we've had struggles, and we have endured. We have endured just as nothing can separate you from Christ. Now, listen, I want to say this. Just as nothing can separate you from Christ, nothing should separate you from your husband or your wife, okay? Now, I know some of you say, well, that's, that's awfully idealistic and, and unrealistic, Pat, in our world today. And I understand, uh, based on culture, uh, that it's very tough. But here's what I also want you to understand. I truly and fully believe that if two people are married and they both are Christian, and they both love Jesus and are running hard after his heart, guess what? I believe that two Christians sometimes get divorced, okay? I believe that it happens, right? But here's what I'm, I, I promise you. If two Christians, both Christians, love the Lord and run hard after his heart, your chances of making it through 99.9% .9 of anything greatly astronomically increase, Okay? I'll promise you this, that's why you as a Christian should never marry a non-Christian. That's why the Bible talks about not marrying a non-Christian for multiple reasons. But one is when you're a believer, you come from things, you attack life, you see life through a Christian lens much differently than uh, someone who's not a Christian, right? And so you attack it from two different ways. And I'll, I'll promise you this, if Amy or, and, either one, if Amy or I were not Christians, or if both of us were not, we would have ejected a long time ago, okay? I don't know if you know this or not, but I'm, I'm pretty hard-headed, okay? I mean, I don't have a filter, right? I, I generally say what is on my mind, it comes out my mouth, and sometimes that's really good, and sometimes it's not, right? I promise you, if Amy and I did not both love Jesus right after his heart, we would have hit the eject button a long time ago, 
okay? Uh, but it's because of Jesus uh, and because of a commitment to him, and, and, and that's why I want Amy to love Jesus more and more and more and more. I, I want to lead her to love Jesus. I, I want her to be in the Word because the more she loves Jesus, the more she's going to love and be committed to me. And dudes, that's why the greatest thing you can do for your marriage is for you to love Jesus and run hard after his heart because the more you love Jesus, the more you're going to love your wife and be committed to your wife. Right? And so, so I truly and fully believe that people who love the Lord, it does not ensure you're not going to get a divorce. Understand that. We've seen that. It does not ensure that. But I promise you, your chances, it takes two to both be running hard after the Lord, to be full of grace and to be full of compassion and, 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 and whatnot. And so, so that's what we, I think we see here. Now, then she says, thousands of years before the Beatles were born, she says, you can't buy me love. She said, if, it, you know, if a man offered for the love all the wealth of his house, he'd be utterly despised. Thousands of years before the Beatles were born, she said, you can't buy me love. She's talking to the most, you know what's sad? What's sad is the middle schoolers in here said, who's the Beatles? <laughs> anyway, She's saying, she's talking to the richest man in the world. You know, he, Solomon was wealthier than Bill Gates and Mark Zuckerberg combined. He was so stinking filthy rich. She's talking to the wealthiest man who ever lived, and she said, you can't buy love. You can buy sex, but you can't buy love. And she said, I freely give mine to you. I freely give it. And here's what I think she's also saying here, uh, or that needs to be pointed out. Also, as you can't buy love, no amount of money is worth destroying your marriage. No amount of money, no promotion, no career is worth destroying your marriage. No fling, no affair is worth destroying your marriage. Let me tell you one of the things I've learned after many years of ministry Many years of counseling and many years of seeing people get divorced and many years of seeing people make it through. Let me tell you what I've, I've learned. If you pursue anything other than your marriage, before your marriage, I mean, if you pursue anything, if you pursue your career before your marriage, if you pursue money before your marriage, if you pursue a hobby before your marriage, if you pursue a fling or an affair before your marriage, I promise you, you might get that, but you will 100% of the time always find that it is not as satisfying or gratifying as the marriage you gave up to get it. Okay? Every time, that, that's what I've seen over and over and over, but you're the exception. Wrong. Anytime you begin to think, I'm the exception, you, you're, you're getting ready to train wreck your life in anything. Well, I know that for everybody else, but it's not going to happen to me. Man, that's a train wreck around the corner. Okay? And so, this passage is, is so good because in, 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 in uh, uh, 5, 6, and 7 in chapter 8, and what it's talking about is it's talking about the permanency of marriage, lasting love. So what we see is we see Solomon and his bride in this very pure romance. Man, the dating, the courtship, you know, they didn't have sex before marriage. She said, don't awaken love before it's time over and over. If you go back and read it, I mean, they dated pure. Their courtship was pure. Their wedding, they even fought. And as they fought, because it's after sin, right, they, they reconciled in a pure way. And man, now they're talking about this lasting love and it's beautiful. But as I said, we all know Solomon, after this was written, at some point in his life, just went buck wild crazy. He lost his gourd. He lost it. Went all Wilt Chamberlain on us. How? 
How can Solomon go from what we've read here? How can Solomon go from a, being a one-woman man? How can Solomon go from here to 700 wives and 300 porcupines? Concubines, okay? Some of you are like, porcupines, porcupines. That's really deviant there. Concubines, okay? Concubines. How did he go from 700 wives and three? Think about that. Dude had 700 wives, Wilt Chamberlain. Now, there's not a single man in this room that believes Wilt Chamberlain's story, right? But how in the world, 700 wives and 300 companies, how did Solomon, now think about it, Solomon is the wisest man ever. He's wiser than Einstein and every scientist put together. He's wealthier than Mark Zuckerberg, than Bill Gates. Solomon is, is, he has more spiritual influence than the Pope, more political power than the president. I mean, this man is the man. How did he go from a one-woman man to having a harem that makes the Playboy Mansion look like Legoland? How? That's a great question because so many people here, so many people we know, maybe even you, we've made the same mistakes, right? I mean, if you've got one woman, if you've got a thousand women, you think, oh, that's bad. If you've got one other woman besides your wife, that's bad. It's sinful. It's a train wreck. Or one thousand men or one man besides your husband. It's a sinful. It's a train wreck. But let's be real, okay? Now, let me, let me get really in your backyard, come out from the backyard into the house. We can look at Solomon and we can say, a thousand women, that's really bad. But you know what? I mean, to be quite honest with you, a lot of you men in this room have a thousand women harem right now. It's digital. It's on your computer. It's called pornography. And it's not just restricted to men. Women are involved in it too. But, but many of you men have a harem to where you look at women in lustful ways. And Jesus said, if you look at a woman with lust in your heart, you committed adultery. Right? I mean, and so many of us have that harem today. And so even though we can uh, think badly of Solomon or badly of Wilt Chamberlain, many of us are in that same position. It's just in digital form. And it's the same, you know, mental uh, unsatisfaction. And what I want you to understand, if you're, the, if you're a husband or a wife, period, and you're addicted to porn, what you're communicating to your husband or your wife. If you're a man and you're addicted to porn, and, and here's what you're communicating to your wife. I look at naked women and I imagine having my sex with them because I'm not satisfied with you. How would you like it if your wife would say, I'm going to look at naked men, imagine having sex with them because I'm not satisfied with you? That's the destruction that it brings. Listen, it, it, you can't, you know, it's very pharisaical because the Pharisees thought, oh, I can think it as long as I don't do it. Right? I mean, they could lust all day. That's why Jesus said no. If you lust, you've heard it said don't commit adultery. And a Pharisee says, I checked that off my box. I don't commit adultery. But they lusted all day. Jesus said, no, if you lust in your heart, you've committed adultery. He said it's a matter of the heart, right? How did Solomon get there? It's what I want you to know. It's what we need to know because I want to keep some of you from going there. And I want to give hope for those of you who are already there. And so what I want to do is we wrap this thing up in the next few moments. And, and, and this is a very hard, touchy subject. And I want to handle it with grace. And as I said, I'm your pastor. I want to shepherd you. I don't want to, I want to hurt you. I want to help you. I want to help you overcome your hurt. Right? And you need to know what the Bible says. And so I want to, I want to help you to understand what the Bible says about uh, like lasting marriage and divorce in a very preventative way in a very redemptive way. Because some of you, man, you need to stop because some of you are married right now. Some of you are not married, you're single. And man, you're getting ready to go into this marriage thing not having a clue how serious this thing is. 
And you need to stop and go, well, I need to consider this because there is no back door. There is no eject button here. And you need to stop and be very clear. Some of you are married and you're thinking, man, I, we just don't love each other. We, we're not getting along and I'm about to hit the eject button and, and I want to help you to, I want to help you to, you know, be preventative. Some of you have done that. It wasn't a permissible divorce. The Bible talks about permissible divorces and unpermissible divorces. It wasn't. You're dragging that around. And I want to share the hope of redemption in that with you too. The hope of forgiveness because divorce is not the unforgivable sin. Okay? And so let's, let's look at that uh, for just a moment. God's view of marriage is clear in Scripture. We talked about that week one. You can go watch it. God's view of divorce is also very clear in Scripture. Okay? God's view of divorce is also very clear. God designed marriage, not man, not the government. The government, you know, their stamp on a marriage, the marriage license is all about census and taxes and all that kind of stuff. Uh, uh, man's view is different, but God designed it, and he designed it to be permanent because it is a picture of the, the sacrificial love of Jesus, the unending love of Jesus to his bride, the church. And, and when it's not permanent, it, it sort of makes a mockery of that. And so if we don't understand that, we won't understand why God hates it. So let's go to Malachi, and I want to read verses 13, 14, and 16. And Malachi's written, it's the last book of the Old Testament. Man, they are far from God. They're religious, but, but God's not blessing them, and they want to know why. And he tells Milthories, he says, one, because you don't tithe. You're robbing God of your tithes. And they're like, what? And you, I mean, you're, you're not honoring God's word when it comes to your money. And here he says, you're not honoring God's word when it comes to your marriage. So let's look at this. In verses 13, 14, and 16, it says, and this second thing you do, you cover the Lord's altar with tears with weeping and groaning because he no longer regards the offering or accepts it with favor from your hand. So they're worried, they're crying, uh, they're weeping because God doesn't seem to be blessing them, although they're very religious. It says, but you say, why does he not? Because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth to whom you have been faithless, though she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Covenant, not contract. For the man who does not love his wife but divorces her, says the Lord, says the Lord, the God of Israel, covers his garments with violence, says the Lord of hosts. So guard yourselves in your spirit and do not be faithless. Now, they were, they were concerned. They were wondering, why does God not seem to bless us? And I want you to know this last closing section, as I said, it's, it's, it's very hard. I, some of you need to come up and preach this, all right? It, it's very hard, but it's God's word, and I want to help you. I had people come up to me after the first service that had been married, had been divorced, not without, in a sinful divorce, and had come to me and said, man, in tears, that, that's, that, I needed this so much because I've been carrying this around. That's what I hope for you is redemption, our prevention. Prevention or redemption, wherever you are, okay? So, in Malachi, they were, they were why is God not blessing us? I mean, we're, we're religious, we're offering sacrifices, we're doing all God says, why is he not blessing us? And Malachi said, I'm telling you why he's not blessing you, because the, the way you've treated your spouse, you've been very unfaithful, you've been faithless to the wife of your youth. Here's what we know, God is a witness to how we treat our spouse. So much so that Scripture says that even if we have something uh, between us and our spouse that interferes with our prayer life, God is a witness to how you treat your spouse. He was there at your wedding when you made your vows. He was in the midst of that. He is a witness to how you honor your vows throughout the rest of your marriage. Right? God is a witness to that. Now, uh, in verse 16 of Malachi chapter 2, many translations translate that, and, which is a good translation, God hates divorce. God hates divorce. Now, we use the word, that's, the, that's what we know for sure about divorce. God hates it. 
right? Why does God hate it? Well, we got to go back to the purpose of marriage. The purpose of marriage, week one. You go back and listen to that. Uh, so God hates it. Why does he hate it? Now, we use words very flippantly, very casually. We use love casually. I love football, man. I love hunting. I love, I love my truck. I, I love pizza. I love peanut butter pie. I really love peanut butter pie. I, I love, you know, I, we use it flippantly, right? Man, I hate some things too, right? I'm not fond of Nick Saban. I'm not going to say hate. Uh, you know, kids say, I hate school. You know, I hate this. I ha-. We use those words casually. God never uses a word casually. And God says, I hate uh, in Scripture. And every time he says, I hate, and when he says, I hate, it's referring to his enemies. So when God talks about divorce, he says, divorce is my enemy. Why is divorce my enemy? Divorce is my enemy because it desecrates the purpose of marriage that I created. It desecrates it. It completely makes a mockery of marriage because marriage is meant to be permanent because marriage is a picture. It's not about you. It is a picture of my relationship with the church. And so therefore, I hate it, God says. Now, what happened is the Pharisees in the New Testament, what they did is they come up to Jesus and Matthew they come up to Jesus, and they were always trying to trap Jesus. And in Jesus' day, you know, there were two schools of thought predominantly in the pharisaical, rabbinical world uh, about divorce. Uh, Rabbi Hillel taught that you could get a divorce for anything, for any reason, if you were a man. A woman had no rights in that world. And so uh, if a man got married and all of a sudden thought, man, that bridesmaid's hotter than you, he could divorce his wife and go with the bridesmaid. I mean, if, if she burned his toast, who wants a woman that's going to burn your to- toast? Dump her, go get another one, right? I mean, that was, that was how silly it was. But then there was a Rabbi Shammai. He was said, no, 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 no. He was much more conservative. And so the, the, the Pharisees, they leaned on him. They come up to Jesus, and they tried to trap him. No matter what, they tried to come up with questions. No matter what he answers, we got him. We got half these people mad at him, right? And so they come up to Jesus and said, Moses gave us a certificate of divorce. He allowed us to divorce our wives, what do you think, Jesus? They were trying to trap him. They really didn't want to know. And Jesus answered, Matthew 19, you can go look. Jesus answered and said, well, Moses allowed you to divorce your wife because your hearts are hard, which stung them. Whoa, that was not God's intention. So Jesus allowed you, or Matthew, Moses allowed you to divorce your wife and gave, give a certificate of divorce because your heart was hard. But, Jesus said, he goes back and quotes Genesis 2, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Jesus said, it's it's your hard hearts is the reason you get a divorce, and it's not God's will. That's what he said. So his disciples were sitting back hearing this in Matthew 19, and his disciples said, whoa, Jesus, you mean your view of marriage is that big? And his disciples said, if your view of marriage is that big, why would anybody get married if it's that big a deal? And, and you had expected Jesus to go, oh, guys, I mean, come on, marriage is cool and it's good. Yeah, you should get married. But Jesus didn't do that. He basically said, bingo, you got it. You, that's, you, you picked up what I put down. And he's not saying they shouldn't get married. What he's saying is you should never enter into it lightly because there is no back door. There is no eject button. So you make sure before you dive into this thing that it is the right type person, that, that, this, that they're a Christian, that yada, yada, yada. So Jesus said, take it very, very seriously because this is very serious stuff. Now, the Bible doesn't say divorce is always a sin. 
okay? Matter of fact, the Bible gives some permissible divorces, okay? Now, let, me, let, me, let me name a couple and then help you unpack what those are in, a, in, a, in an amount of time that this should be preached over a couple of sermons, actually, okay? But let me, let me one is in 1 Corinthians 7, the Corinthian church was wild and crazy, divorcing everybody, just having sex with everybody. And so that's what Paul writes to the Corinthians. But in, in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 7, he comes in, he talks about a permissible divorce, and he talks about two people who are married that are not believers, right? Jesus, the scripture clearly says, do not be unequally yoked. No Christian can marry a non-Christian because we come to different places. Two people who are not believers get married, okay? One person then becomes a believer. Let me just use an example. A man and woman get married. They're not believers. The lady becomes a Christian. Happens a lot, okay? So what the Bible says then is that lady cannot get out of that marriage. She should not get out of that marriage. She should not seek to leave. As a matter of fact, she should stay in that marriage, begin to share her faith with her husband, begin to live in a way that her husband looks at her and says, whoa, and maybe he will come to the Lord because of her faith, okay? So she cannot leave. Now, the Bible says if the husband, who is not a Christian in that scenario, says, I didn't sign up for this. I didn't marry a Christian. I don't want a Bible thumper, well, however he says that. I, I, don't want, I, I want a divorce. Then the lady, in that case, is permitted and free to get out. Not to seek to get out. She's permitted if her husband does not. It's called desertion. He's deserting her because she is now a Christian, or vice versa, okay? So that's called desertion. That is a biblically permitted divorce, okay? She shouldn't seek it. The, the Christian cannot seek it, cannot ask out, cannot desire to get out, should do everything to stay in it. But if he or she, if the non-Christian uh, leaves, it's called desertion, and they're permitted. That's a permissible divorce. Matthew 19 talks about a, the second permissible divorce, the second permissible divorce, uh, Jesus says in Matthew 19, uh, it's, what I was, it's a passage I was talking about a moment ago, he says you can't get divorced, he, except he gives an exception clause, except for marital unfaithfulness, infidelity, okay? Now let me unpack that for a moment. What I don't believe, based on the whole teaching of Scripture, is if a man and woman are married and the woman is unfaithful, the wife is unfaithful to her husband, that that automatically gives the husband permission to say, you, you're unfaithful, I'm done, I'm out. Not at all. That's not what Jesus does with us, okay? As a matter of fact, I think the clear teachings of Scripture are if one partner is unfaithful, the clear teaching of Scripture is the other, because of Jesus, should seek reconciliation, should seek to forgive, should be patient, should try to work this thing out. What this is talking about in Matthew 19 is not just, you are unfaithful, we're done. Not at all. I think it's talking about repeated and unrepentant infidelity, okay? At that point, I believe the Bible gives permission for divorce, okay, at that point. Now, again, that's not first time I want to repeat that because I don't want to make, I want to make sure you understand. Repentant, unrepentant, and repeated. Not first time, you be patient, you work, but unrepentant, you're permitted. Now, obviously, I believe if there is a, a, a permissible divorce, then I would, in, in my thought process, would say that, then remarriage under the right circumstances in the right way would be permitted, okay? But uh, uh, so these are the permitted divorces in Scripture, okay? These are the permitted divorces. And, and so, uh, you know, uh, so let me give you some, some reasons. You'd say, well, hold on, what if my husband beats me? Now, that's a very serious question, as is all of this topic. That's a good question. 
but it's not the first question you should ask. If my husband beats me, can I divorce him? If your husband beats you, then we need to get you to safety. There needs to be some physical separation, and then there needs to be some prayer and, and some patience, and you might not need to live with him, right? You need to be away from him, but there needs to be, it's not, it's, it, that's not the first question is my point. That's a hard one, all right? It's not my first question. It's not the first question, okay? But definitely, You've got to get the safety and, and, and all those kind of things, all right? So let me give you some unpermitted divorces in the Bible. Permitted because people today, Christians, think they're permitted. One, well, uh, man, uh, we, uh, you, you know, as we look at this, we're just not in love. We, we've just fallen out of love. We just don't love each other anymore, and it wouldn't be good. Well, listen, if, if you think that, then you've bought into this Hollywood version of what love is. This, you know, I mean, feeling, touchy-feely stuff. And that's not what love is. Love is commitment, folks. Love is sacrifice. Jesus is love. And Jesus, when he was on the cross, what he felt when he was being torn apart, nailed to the cross, murdered, I, he didn't have this warm fuzzy for you, okay, and for me. It was commitment. It was sacrifice, that's the biblical definition of love. That's the, why you can say in sickness and in health. Man, that's why you can say, I know husbands. Man, I know wives whose husbands, when they get older, and man, they have, uh, you know, when, when, as, I mean, I've seen one of the most glorious things that I've seen, man, in my ministry is, man, when, when men and women is, you know, we come into the world in diapers, right? And you know, if we live long enough, we're going to go out in diapers. We're going to, we come in with no teeth and we're going to go out with no teeth. One of the most glorious things that you'll ever see is a wife changing a husband's diaper, helping feed him or vice versa. Listen, that's not warm fuzzy. Oh, I feel it. That's commitment. That's beautiful and it's glorious, right? That's amazing. So this, oh, I don't love each other, then you lead your heart. You don't follow your heart. You're allowing your heart to go somewhere. Remember, a, a few weeks ago, it's another message, go watch it. Uh, here's another reason. God doesn't want me to be unhappy. I hear that all the time. I've stopped hearing it lately because I've said it so much. God doesn't want me to be unhappy. Well, I really don't think God wants you to be unhappy, but what you've got to understand is God's much more concerned about your holiness than your happiness. If you can find a verse for that, any of these excuses in Scripture, bring them to me, okay? Because God is much more concerned about your holiness than your happiness. Listen, I, I promise you, sometimes Amy doesn't make me happy and I don't make her happy. I promise you that. We would have bolted a long time ago. You know why Amy don't make me happy half time? Because she's knocking the rough edges off me that I need knocked off. And when that happens, it's the iron sharpening iron. I don't like it. And she's not, I mean, man, it, it shows me how selfish I am. Man, it, it, until you get married, you don't know how selfish you are. And then when you have kids, there's another level of, man, let's uncover some more selfishness, Pat. That's what marriage and kids are all about, I believe. God is sanctifying you through them, right? And so you just don't understand until, until you get it. And so God's much more concerned about your ha holiness than he is your happiness. Not an excuse, not a permitted divorce. Then lead your heart. Lead your heart, right? Well, you know, I, I mean, if uh, uh, we're just not compatible, we just don't, we just don't get along. Well, let me give you, let me, let me give you some, uh, uh, you know, newsflash here. Because of sin, no two people are going to be compatible, Okay. That's why it takes grace. That's why it takes Jesus. No two people without humility and grace are going to get along. 
Not an excuse, not permittable, can't happen because I don't like what he does, and I don't like this, and I don't like that. It just, it, we, we, th- those are not permittable. So, so I, he, we talked about some permitted, impermissible divorces, and man, there's a whole lot here we can unpack, okay? And maybe you need to come in and talk to us if something's hitting you, but let me, let me, I want to be preventative, as I said, and I want to be redemptive. So let me be preventative for a moment. For those of you who are single, you're single, and man, I, 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 the preventative is, as Jesus said to his disciples, or when his disciples said, whoa, who should get married? And Jesus was like, bingo, you got it. You need to enter into marriage with fear and trembling. Not, I mean, not afraid of it, but with respect. And like, I, I've got to honor this, and I'm not going to get into it because I'm afraid of being lonely. I'm not going to get into it because I'm afraid this is my only opportunity. I, I'm, I've got to enter this with fear and trembling and respect. I got to make sure, man, as, much, as sure as I can be, this is the man or this is the woman that God has created for me. So that's preventative is do it right, enter into it right. People tell me all the time, I don't know why my relationships keep ending the same way. And I'm like, well, maybe it's because they all begin the same way. Right? I mean, enter it the right way. Enter it the right way. Now, the second thing for those of you who are married, because some of you are married, and man, you're beginning to think, I don't know if I love her or him anymore. She don't make me happy. He don't make me happy. I mean, there's really no permitted anything in here. Says, I don't know if I love him. She don't love me. He don't, you know, and, and, and you need to, well, stop. I promise you. I promise you, you need to stop. Now, it takes two, okay? It takes two. So uh, when I'm putting this on you, both of you, if you're husband and wife in this room and you both love the Lord, then the Spirit of God needs to resonate within both of you saying, God hates this. That means I don't need to do it. Okay? Stop. Save yourself a bunch of pain. So that's the preventative. Now let me be redemptive. Okay? Let me be redemptive. Some of you, man, you're here and Man, you got divorced a long time ago. One of our staff was talking about someone that had been divorced for a while, and, and, and man, it was a permissible divorce. One of the couple of things I mentioned, and it was a permissible divorce, and man, they still feel, man, I'm, I was divorced years ago, and man, I still, I, I don't feel, I, I don't feel like I can serve. I don't feel like I can do anything. I feel like, you know, I'm dirty. I, man, you need to understand Number one, the grace of God in all situations. And understand what God's word, if it was permissible, man, you need, to, you need to move on. Thank the Lord for his grace. Thank the Lord and move on, okay? Now, some of you uh, in here is, are you, you in, and watching online, you got divorced. It wasn't permissible. It was sinful. Maybe you were unfaithful to your husband or your wife. Maybe you were so unfaithful in so many ways, uh, you know, but, but, or maybe you wasn't unfaithful. Maybe y'all just fell out of love. You just wasn't happy, you, whatever, but you, maybe you were young. I, I don't know, but it, it, it didn't enter into the permissible category, and you just ended it. Either way, it was sinful. If it wasn't in the permitted, permitted category, it was sinful. And the reason I want to bring that up is because I had people come to me after the first service and say, thank you for talking about that because I fall into that category. It, it was sinful. And here's what happens is when we enter, when we get a divorce, when people get a divorce and it's sinful and, and, and man, we're fighting for something, we, we don't ever admit wrong, right? Because if I admit wrong, then I've got to take them. We don't admit wrong. And so what that carries over into our relationship with the Lord, and maybe you didn't confess it. You didn't confess it. And so it's drag, you've been dragging it around, and it's, it's weight that you've been dragging because it's unconfessed sin. And so I want to tell you, if you are 
here and you've been divorced and you might be remarried now and man you still it's like I got this gnawing feeling then you need to confess that that sin you need to talk to your spouse about confess that sin because uh, uh, it, it was it was a sin that you you've been dragging around it tears you up. confess it confess it experience God's freedom of grace God divorce is not the unforgivable sin right God is a God of grace God is a God of grace. Experience his grace. Now let me, let me take this a step further, okay? You may need to go to your former spouse. You may need to go to your former spouse and confess. Now if you do that, and if you're remarried, or if they're remarried, this is not about rekindling anything because the Bible clearly says that if you're divorced and, and you're remarried or they're remarried, you cannot get married to, this, to that spouse again. So this is not about rekindling anything. If they're not married and you're not married, then great. But if they are, or maybe it's not great, maybe you just need to confess, okay, and not rekindle anything. But what I'm telling you is if they're married or you're not married, take someone with you. Maybe take your current spouse with you or take a friend because maybe you need to go to them and say, listen, I need to confess to you that what we did was wrong. What I did was wrong, and I need to confess that to you. And that's it. That she may smack you. He may flip you off, uh, whatever, but that's on them. You do what God has called you to do and told you to do. Okay? And I promise, experience redemption. That's our God. Here's what we know about the Bible. God blesses second marriages. God blesses second marriages. He tells us when we're married, if it's our second marriage, don't get out of it. He blesses it. Okay, when it's done correctly. And so I, I challenge you to seek the forgiveness that you need, confess, repent, so that you can experience that and move on and not have baggage in, in the marriage you're in and, and live life with gusto, not guilt. Okay, I hope this has been very helpful. And I know for some of you, it's like raised a lot of questions that we can't answer here. So we got folks that can help you. So call our office, email us, come back and talk to us. Man, we want to continue this with you, okay? We want to help you. Thank you for allowing us to talk about things for the last six weeks of sex, uh, dating, singleness, marriage, divorce, all these things that we need to know what God's Word says. And I'm grateful God doesn't leave any of it for us to guess at. He tells us how to do it all. I hope this has been helpful. Thank you for allowing us to talk about it. If you're new here at LifePoint, we're going to preach what we believe God's Word is, and we're not going to back away from talking about any of it, okay? Because we want you to know what God's Word says so you can live it. So I hope it's helped you. I hope it's set you free from some things. I hope it's prevented you from some, from some things. I hope it's been redemptive uh, in some things that you can experience the grace of God who renews and who, who forgives and renews and frees and you can experience life with gusto, not with guilt, okay? So I'm gonna pray, uh, you come back. We're gonna start a new series next week. Bring some folk with you, it's gonna be great. We're gonna talk about an upside down world. Uh, we're gonna talk about uh, our government authorities. How do we do with that? Wow, that's pretty relevant today. We're gonna talk about how do, you, how do you love people? How do you not judge people? All those kind of things, okay? So, uh, uh, so come back next week, bring someone with you. Let me pray. If you need to talk to us about anything, come and see us, all right? God, we love you. God, we thank you, thank you for your grace. God, I talked about a very sensitive subject today. Thank you that you didn't leave us to figure it out. You wrote about it. You spoke about it so we would know. I pray that you would free a lot of people today that's watching, a lot of people that's in this room, free them from guilt. 
God, free them from, from uh, the guilt, the baggage, Lord, because they confess and repent. And God, I know that, uh, Lord, it's not just uh, thinking differently and behavior modification. God, it is confession and repentance. And I pray that that would happen in lives today and there would be freedom experienced, God. Lord, I pray that there would be redemption experienced. I pray that marriages today, that every marriage in this room, whether it's their first or their second or whatever, I pray that they would look at each other and they would know you are the one God created for me and I'm living, giving, I'm committed to you and I'm leading my heart. I'm not following it. And I'm going to be jealous for you. I want to, be a, I want to set you as a seal upon my arm. God, I pray for our marriages to be strong. God, I pray that, Lord, they would be an example to the world of how you love us. I pray that you would save people today. I pray that you would save their souls as well as their marriage. God, I pray that if you save their souls, Lord, then their marriage, Lord, stands a much greater chance of making it in today's world. And I pray that you would save souls today as well as marriages. We love you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen.